And kids, we're keeping you in today because today I'm talking about church as village, church as family. Uh, And so we would like to spend our time this morning with you. Um, So I want to invite you to listen along today if you can. If you have any questions later on, I'd love to talk to you about anything you didn't understand. That will help me learn better how to speak to all ages, uh, everyone here. Uh, And today we want to be family together. Uh, We're doing a series called Church Everywhere at the moment. I think we've got a picture as well. Um, Thank you to Tori for putting that together for us. Uh, What we're thinking about is this idea that we're in Jesus, we're in Christ, but we find ourselves in Christ everywhere. We're the Richmond Church everywhere, in the different places and spaces and, and the people that we hang out with. Uh, that's what this series is about. And over the next few weeks, we'll be exploring some different ideas. Next week, Melinda will be talking to us about friendship. We'll be talking about work, uh, rest and play, and neighborhood. Uh, we're looking forward to exploring some more of this idea of church everywhere. Last week, Melinda and I did something a little bit different. We preached together, and we think it went okay. No one threw anything at us. We might try it again sometime. We all have a family of origin. We all come from somewhere. Uh, we grew up with certain people in a certain place, and these people inform our experience, our expectation, and our interactions with others. I want to acknowledge this morning that this means it can be hard to become part of a new family, or to imagine a healthy and flourishing family experience. If that's you, I'm sorry that that's your experience, but I'm grateful that you are here, and we want to, as a church family, figure out together what it means to live well as family. I also want to acknowledge that there are too many people here in our church family who are still carrying pain and trauma from their childhood and family experience. People who continue to experience broken relationships with parents and siblings and children. People who carry unmet expectations of being married or having children. People whose family is struggling or is broken. And again, I'm sorry that this is your experience. My prayer is that today and what we talk about today is not another layer of hurt for you. I want to say that we're here for you, and we care for you, and we want to share your pain with you, and we want to trust Jesus with you, despite it all. Let me pray as we open up this topic today. King Jesus, we thank you that we can worship you. We thank you that we can be together as part of your family. We thank you for the fun that we can have now and the fun we can have later on today. We thank you that we can be family together. We pray as we talk about what that might mean, that you will open us up to being challenged and and disturbed and disrupted, to think a little bit more about how we can do that well. Uh, We thank you so much for the great people that we get to share life with already here in this church. Holy Spirit, we pray that you might speak to us, that our ears might be open, our hearts might be open, our lives, our habits might be open to being changed by you. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. We use the language of family a lot here at Richmond, and it's not, I hope, a meaningless label placed over a lifeless gathering filled with empty ritual. Because to be a follower of Jesus is to be reborn into a new family. The stories of Jesus in the early church in the Bible show us a picture of church as family. And to become part of the family of Jesus means we're given a new name. We're adopted by a father. We're named as co-heirs. We are promised an inheritance. In Scripture, salvation is a community-creating event. 
We get a new father and new sisters and brothers, and we're saved into this community. We call it the church, but maybe we should call it family. Perhaps some of us too have grown up thinking that our salvation, our faith, is a personal relationship with God. And it is that, but it's more than that. And we might think of church as something that we can attend on the side to fuel up, to be encouraged, to be with people who think like we do, something like that. But in the story of God and his people and Jesus and his followers and the first followers of Jesus, as they discovered how to be church together, we see that the church family is not an optional extra or a means to an end. The imagination for church family in Scripture is a family that sacrificially, generously shares in life and work and mission together. We see that in the description of the early church as they gathered in Acts. We don't have time to go through all of the stories. But in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches up a storm to all the people that are gathered there. And 3,000 people, we're told, are added to their number that day. And then the very next story... It's not about how they got organized or how they thought about mission strategy, but actually a description of community, a description of family in action. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with wonder at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This passage can be used to help us organize church, and that's okay. But I think if we read it well in the context within which it was written, it's an invitation to build life rhythms and practices as family. And as we read the Gospels, we can see that Jesus makes comparisons between following him and our earthly families. He even goes so far as to suggest that his followers ought to hate their families in comparison to their commitment and investment in their new family. At one point, his mother and brothers try to interrupt him, and he says, actually, these are my family, these people, these followers of mine. He tells people that following him might mean choosing between their new family and their relatives. This was incredibly confronting then in a family culture, in a culture where the whole village was your family, you're related to a load of people, and it's still confronting in our culture today. And Jesus' imagination of family is countercultural. He says that his family are those that follow him. He says in John 13, 34, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The Apostle John takes it deeper in 1 John chapter 3, where we see an invitation to live out a radical, sacrificial, gospel-shaped love in our church family says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our sisters and brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
Now, there are so many more parts of the story of Jesus and the stories of the first followers of Jesus in the Bible that we could unpack to see postures and practices of church as family. I want to just speak quickly to a few characteristics just to spur us, encourage us, maybe challenge us to think about how we live and act as church family. We mentioned this last week, but we need to see ourselves as included in the family of Jesus globally. We're baptized into the family of God, but we're called to some people in a particular place as our expression, our local expression of church as family. That's here at Richmond for us. And there's an invitation to join us in membership, the process of commitment and declaration of saying, these are my people, this is my family. Maybe today for you, if you've never thought about church as family, is an invitation to shift something in your posture and your practice, the way you see those of us around you, to think about us as family. Here's a few things I want us to be mindful of. Some practices I think we can read in Scripture in the story of God's people about the church's family. We share stuff. We see in the story of Jesus' first followers a, a, a sacrificial, generous giving away of selfish ownership and protect, protected possessions as we consider one another worthy of all that we have. We give away, we share what we could keep for ourselves. Now, this has all sorts of practical implications, I think. Uh, things like combining our spending power to buy stuff that's fun to share together. Uh, we're in negotiations with uh, some people, members of our church family, to go halves in a paddleboard because we know it's not something we're going to use all the time. What if we share together? What does it look like for us to buy that together and share it together? We can go beyond that, though, and push into the needs, the practical needs that people have, very real needs in our community. What does it look like for us to share practical things like lawnmowers and cars and other expensive items? What does it look like for us to know each other so well that we know when people don't have what they need? One example in our church family right now is someone whose computer died. They don't have the means to replace it. What does it look like for us as church family to live with that person, to share with that person, to help them get what they need? We share stuff. We share hearts. Wasn't it great a couple of weeks ago when Adrian shared his heart with us? What a fantastic witness to us of trusting us with some of his hurts and fears, his experiences. What a great example of sharing hearts. Where can we carry each other's frustrations, fears, and failures? What would it look like for us to trust each other with our hopes and ideas? We share hearts. We stay in a culture where it's really easy to walk away delete someone from our contacts, avoid them. We're called to commit. Of course, we're also called to send and to go and to partner with people in all sorts of neighborhoods and places. We want to do that too. But when it comes to church as family, we need to practice commitment to staying in difficulty and working through issues and being committed to work with our family to seek reconciliation and to offer forgiveness and seek peace. So we stay and in the staying, we embrace pain and we embrace awkwardness. Because we know that in family, doing life with people, people that we're close to, people that we know things about, people that we rub up against, we know things won't always be rainbows and roses. That there will be difficult moments. 
where we will get annoyed, misunderstood or misunderstand. We will wrongly assume where we're hurt or challenged. It's uncomfortable sometimes. And we know that some things people experience, the people around us might be experiencing things that are very hard, awkward, difficult, complex situations. But rather than ignore it or pretend not to see it or we're disconnecting ourselves to avoid those conversations, the people that we're a part of, we embrace the pain, we embrace the awkwardness, and we walk through it together. And we grow up together. This is a posture of understanding that we're, we're all figuring this out together, this thing called life, that all of the time, most of us are going through some sort of transition, some different stage of life, some part of the aging process. Things change, our situations change, our world changes. What does it look like for us to have that posture together? a sense of growing up and figuring it out together. And we're growing up and figuring out together how to be followers of Jesus, what it means to be faithful, what it means to be sacrificial, what it means to follow him in life's ups and downs. And one of the practices I think we could think about at this point is something I've tried to think of a word for. It's like community mindfulness. Uh, but I think the way we use mindfulness in our culture is very introspective. It's kind of about us and where we're at. So I'm going to try this. Please don't boo me off. I'm going to call it awarefulness. All right. It's not a real word, but I'm using it anyway, all right? What does it mean to be more awareful of the church family? More aware of the church family. I want to suggest that this is something we can practice we can build an awareness of those around us, the challenges, the practical needs, the fears, the opportunities, the ideas, the dreams of those around us. And if you don't know those sort of things about the people around you, about your church family, then I'm putting out an invitation to find out, to get close enough to people to find out. Uh, and if you don't know them enough to get close enough, today I'm declaring, uh, I don't know you well enough, amnesty. You know that awkward thing where we've been in community for a while and you might know someone's name, but you don't know anything about them and you feel like you've already asked them three times what they do for a living and who their family is and how they're connected. Today is an amnesty to pretend it's okay, all right? It's, it's all right. You can push through that awkwardness and say, look, I've forgotten everything you told me in other conversations before. I'd like to get to know you. We're family. Today is an amnesty on that. Now, maybe, and I know this is true, some of us don't even know other people's names, right? So I'm going to declare an I don't know your name amnesty. We've done this before, and we had fun doing it. Today is a chance to say to people, I have forgotten your name, but we are family, and I would like to at least know your name. But I want to know your name and some things about you. Let's have a conversation today. You have permission, without embarrassment, to say, I don't know your name. Does that sound okay? Yeah? Or do you, is it just me that doesn't know all of your names? Don't leave me hanging out there. I want to invite us to, to practice this. What would it look like for us to put 15 minutes in a whole week, 15 minutes aside this week, to practice awarefulness? To sit down and just think and consider the others in our church family. Because I know what it's like in life. We're so busy just keeping up with all the things that need to be done, the things that are right in front of us, maybe just the people that we're really close to, that other people don't even come to mind. What would it look like for us to build a practice of awarefulness? To sit down just for a few minutes and think, who's out there? Who's part of our community? How can I be aware of them? And maybe who could I bless this week? 
What's something practical? What's something relational I could do to build a connection with those people that I'm thinking of? That's our home life. Now, we're all growing up together, and our kids are all growing up together, and some of us are growing old together. And there's two groups I think that it's really important that we're more awareful of, and that's our children and our oldies. We'll talk about our parents and children in a minute, but first, I want to acknowledge that as we age, we face increasing challenges of independence and isolation. In our church family, we have a great group of people who have faithfully loved Jesus for a long time, who've been part of this church family for a long time. They've contributed, and they have much more to contribute in wisdom and passion and prayer and investment and interest. What does it look like for us to be interested in hearing that and connecting with the oldies in our community? This is also an invitation to our oldies to invest in us. We want to hear from you to be aware together of each other, to be practically supporting one another, to share life together. So we're just going to pause for a second. I'm going to ask, it's an invitation for you, if you consider yourself an oldie, this is risky, right? And in our church, maybe an oldie, the bar is pretty low. I'd like to invite you to stand or raise your hand if you consider yourself an oldie so that we can pray for you. Not so that we can point out your age, but so that we can pray for you. Maybe if it's helpful, I'm going to use Carl as the benchmark. (laughs) All right? So if you are older than Carl, including Carl, (laughs) you have got a child mindset. That's true. (laughs) We want to pray for you. This is serious. I'm going to get us to pause. If you'd like to go and sit next to gather around people who are oldies in our community, let's pray for one another. Let's pray for them now. Father, we thank you for all the generations in our church family. We thank you for wisdom and experience that we can only learn by living life, that we can only get by putting in the years. We thank you so much for the interest, the investment, for people who have faithfully followed you, for the example, for the things that we can learn. We pray that as a church family, we might be more aware of the circumstances, of the particular needs, of the opportunities we have to learn and care for and share life with our oldies. We thank you for every one of them. We pray, too, that you'll help us to have a posture of learning from that wisdom and experience. We thank you for moments like these where we can acknowledge and be aware of one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we think about church everywhere, we have to think about the next generation. Our shared prayer here, I think, as a church, would be that every child, every youth would have the opportunity to choose to follow Jesus to grow up with a flourishing life, to have the sense of opportunity to learn and ask questions and grow uh, with lots of people around them, interested in them. And if you're a child and you're listening to me, I want to invite you to come and follow Jesus with us because it's a great adventure and we're still learning together. We don't have it all figured out, but come on the adventure with us. In today's culture, children and parents are under all sorts of stresses and expectations. Parents are expected to be mum, dad, carer, taxi driver, homework tutor, referee, cleaner, nurse, teacher, career advisor, sports coach, cook, tidier, shoe tire, nappy changer, feeder, hugger, emotional support, counsellor, judge, banker, lifeguard, toothbrusher, boundary setter, protector, provider, event coordinator, potty trainer, cheerleader, and so much more. Parents are expected to do all of this and much more. 
as well as work to provide all the things that a healthy child is expected to have and to experience and to eat and to do in their development. And then to do this while modeling healthy relationships, healthy eating, healthy spending, generosity, compassion, sacrifice, trust, kindness, self-control, love, and for followers of Jesus, discipleship. And parents live in an environment of comparison, comparing the best of others' parenting experiencing on social media and in shallow conversations in the schoolyard. All of our parents are under pressure to perform. And some of us, some of the families in our church, have extra stresses on top of that. Lots of children, too many children, have social and mental and physical developmental challenges. And some of our parents are learning to parent with children that require very intense support. Some of our parents hadn't, haven't had a, a full night's sleep in a long time. Some of our parents are exhausted after years of keeping this up. And some of our parents are dealing with their own mental and physical health struggles. Now, this is not to say that it's all too hard. It's, it's a season of life filled with joy and experience and, and moments to celebrate. And parents are passionate about seeing their kids grow up as functional, flourishing humans. We have a dream to just produce adults that can give something little to the world, to function well enough. That's the dream, right, parents? But along the way, it can feel like you are way out of your depth, that you're not sure what the best choice is, that sometimes there is no best choice, that so much of parenting is out of your control, as you watch your kids wrestle with the influences and distractions and dramas and dangers of life. Now, last year, the Sydney Morning Herald published an article called It Takes a Village to Raise a Child, But the Village is Missing. It's an old saying, isn't it? That it takes a village to raise a child. In the village atmosphere of old, aunties, uncles, grandmas and grandpas and cousins would all contribute their wisdom and assistance. But for modern couples, parents, Increasingly cut off from that support, the pressure can be intense. And for many people, many parents, the village is missing. But what if the church family, what if our church family, was able to build a rhythm, a practice of being a village together? What would it look like if we, as the church family, took shared responsibility for the children in our church family? Kids, what would it look like if you were able to share life with and look up to aunties and uncles in our church family? There are all sorts of practical implications for this. Research into child development tells us that kids need five safe adults in their lives to have a flourishing development. Five other adults in their life guiding them and giving input. Five people who know their hopes and dreams. Five people who know their quirks and their good points. Five people they can talk honestly about what's going on in their lives. Five people who can offer wisdom when life is confusing. Five people who care about them and pray for them. And I want to add five people who can model a love for Jesus and for others with them, who can live out in front of them the practices of discipleship. Parents, what would it look like for you to invite five safe adults into your child's life? Kids, who do you look up to? Are there people in our church family that you would like to talk to, to spend time with? Family, church family. What would it look like for you, for us, to be the adults, the aunties and uncles in the lives of our young people? 
Now, some of you already are. We have some great examples of people in our children's ministry and youth ministry that are walking alongside the next generation in our church. Now, part of that is getting involved in our organized groups. Because our young people and our kids do need to spend time together and have time to ask questions together and learn together. And we need to take shared responsibility for this. This cannot be a calling just for those who have a slight interest in it. This is a call to all of us to think about our shared responsibility to invest in the kids. So this is a moment of challenge to our church family, an invitation for us to step up, to accept Katie's invitation to be part of our next generation team. So I hope even today some of us are stirred enough to go and talk to Katie and say, I want to be part of this. I want to invest in the organized parts of what it means to be church's family, church's village. But it's also an invitation for us to think about investing in young people outside of organized church, organized practices. Hey, Ryan, come on up, mate. You can have your turn next. We've been practicing with Ari. So we've invited a few aunties into Ari's life. Uh, Ari greatly benefits from it because she gets taken to the beach and out for milkshakes and 56-1 and all sorts of other places. An opportunity to make friends with adults who are interested in her and investing in her. And our hope is this really gives Ari a great opportunity to ask questions, to talk to people who know her and care about her, that will be with her when life's up and downs happen. And it's an invitation. I want to put the invitation out there today to all of us to think about the kids, to be aware of the kids and youth in our church and what it would look like for us. Even us as parents, to think about other people's kids. What does it look like for us to invest? What does it look like for us to share life with others? This is a really important part of my story. When I was 11 and 12, I had a youth leader, who, a part, member of our church, an adult in our church, who took me out for ice cream every fortnight. We would go to Dairy Bell on Melbourne Street in North Adelaide. I can still remember it. Here's the exciting bit. Two weeks ago, he came to church. First time since I've been here. He brought his whole family. I haven't seen him in years. And he came along. I told him he timed it wrong and that he should have come today and I would have made a big deal of it. But a really important part of my life story is someone taking me out for ice cream, being invested in me, journeying with me, asking me questions, being there for me when I needed it. Now, I was fortunate enough that when we moved to Sydney, I had someone else in that church take on the mantle of responsibility for my future. And another, another adult male took me out every fortnight for the next four years of my high school experience. It helped me make better choices. It showed me that people do really care for me. When I didn't want to talk to mum and dad about confusing things or different things, as most of us experience, I had someone to talk to. This was huge in my life. I would actually say it changed my life, probably in loads of ways I don't even know. I want to put the invitation to us, to all of us, to think about what it would mean for us to invest in the kids and young people in our church? What would it look like for you to include someone in your rhythm? Now, if you remember last week, we talked about some of these rhythms and practices, not just adding things to our lives, but actually integrating them into our lives. What are things that we are already doing? One of the things that the guy who took me out in high school used to do was he'd figure out he was going somewhere with friends or going shopping, going to different places, heading into the city, and he would include me. He'd come and pick me up and take me along. He didn't add anything else to his, his life. He just integrated me into his life. That mattered a lot. So we're not talking about adding more things necessarily, but being more aware and being invested in young people in our church family. 
What would it look like for all of us to think about integrating investment into the next generation in our life rhythms? That's a challenge, right? What would it look like for all of us to think about taking someone out for ice cream? Mm. 